Some of the stats used in this episode were kindly provided by speedwayresearcher.org.uk. To episode four of the Memory of Comptry Bees podcast. And today I'm really happy to, to speak to a guy who joined the club in the mid-90s, a young lad from the Suffolk area who came in with some pretty long hair and some gnarly leathers at the time. Um, but he, he certainly became one of the riders that you'd put into the category of fans' favourite. And that is Sean Tasty. Sean, how you getting on, mate? Very, very well, thank you. And it's a pleasure to catch up with you after so long. Yeah, I know we, we bumped into each other a few times when I've been over to Ipswich and, and place like that. You uh, you keeping well in the lockdown? Very, very well, mate. I've, um, I haven't really stopped, buddy, to be honest. Um, no, I work by myself most of the time. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, been long graft, to be honest. Okay. And and we're going we're gonna to catch up, Sean, and talk about some some good times in, in your life and, and times in your career uh, throughout the, the show sport that you was involved in. Um, and let's try and take you back to, to 94. And, and when the team um, is announced and you're in the side with, with riders like Hans Nielsen, John Jorgensen, Andy Smith, Brian Anderson, a real sort of team packed with, with uh, some good experience and some youth. And, and you you rock up, and, and I'm pretty sure that we had our eyes on you ever since you had a, a guest booking with Arena at the back end of '93, and you uh, you won a couple of meeting a couple of races in that meeting there, and I think you you maybe got a few people looking at you. How, how did the the move to Compton come about? It came about. There was also some really my first year of cutting my teeth with Ipswich doing second halves, which were back then, and they were like proper second halves where there were like nine nine heat formulas. Um, in the Ipswich side, there was me, Ben Howe, Savalas Clouton, Lawrence Hare. And, um, yeah, and I had a really, like my first opening time to come to Coventry was fantastic. I looked at the place, watched the first meeting, and I thought, I cannot wait to get out there and ride that. And um, I had a really, really good meeting. You only got three races back then. And um, Anza and Martin Ockletree started talking from then. Um and I got on really well with both of them, Bob being the team manager and Martin being the owner. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, um, I uh, dislocated my ankle when I was riding for Ipswich, and they said, as soon as you get fit, you'll get back. We'll have you back in the team. Um, but Lee Lanham became of age back then um, when I was ready to come back for the last two months of the season. And um, they said, um, sorry, we had to take Lee on. So they loaned me out to Arena Essex, which you just touched on. And so I'd done like the last month and a half with them. Um, Ipswich desperately wanted me back the following year. And I said, well, no, um, I want to go and uh, have a spell with Coventry. They said, no, no, we, we want you back in the team. And I said, well, if I can't ride for Coventry, um, I'll have a year out. And I sort of, um, between me and Martin, we sort of like pushed a ball in the court of like, they didn't have no option but to let me go, come to Coventry, to be honest with you. And and what was it like dealing with, with Martin, Sean? Because obviously Martin had taken over from, from Charles and, and his and his mum, Linda. And, and Martin was always very, seemed very professional in, in his dealings and, and carried on the Tree sort of the, the family trait as, it, as if it was a... Coventry Speedway on a Saturday night in particular was always the, the best place to go in the country for you know for a lot of us. I'll put it this way: Martin is a sad loss um, to not running it or doing it anymore um, because he looked after me so so well and all the other riders. Um, he was a pure gentleman to deal with, common decent you know bloke to talk to. Um, he had no airs and graces about him. 
Um, he was fantastic, absolutely fantastic bloke. And what was it like in terms of the stadium, Sean? Because obviously you mentioned you rode at Ipswich and Arena, which, you know, from, from going to both tracks many times, they're both similar in terms of the the stadium, in terms of it's quite open, whereas Coventry, you'd, you'd have rocked up on your bike in that first race, heat two against Bradford, and looked up at the grandstand and just seen it packed and, and the floodlights down. It must have been a bit different to ride out, out on the Brandon track. It was amazing, mate. It was like, um, yeah, you, you felt like you were doing a proper job in, in those days then. And like I told everyone, I was riding for like the Manchester United of <laughs> Speedway terms. Um, everything was on a different scale there. Um, very professional, but um, it was a, a so much better run than what I'd, you know, previously experienced. And um Everything was at a high level. We had team meetings fairly regular. We had um, corporate days where we went go-karting as a team to do, um, you know, bonding sessions and stuff, um, meals out. Um, yes, I had to shag up from Ipswich to do that. But, um, and, and like the likes of Hans, um, before he moved back to Denmark, um, he invited um, the likes of myself and the other teammates for a, um, a nice party around his house that night, um, about a week before he was going to move back and um, show me what you can get out of life if you put into it. And um, yeah, um, just just top of the run draw, or the whole lot of it, to be honest. And and how much can you remember, Sean, from that, that first meeting? What were your nerves like getting into the stadium and getting the, the leathers on and warming up, getting ready? Because on that night in particular, Bradford always used to bring a, a fair crowd with them and there was a there was a heavy rivalry at that point between Coventry and Bradford with the likes of Javi and, and Screeny stuff like that. Um, what, what can you remember of the the opening night with the bees? That that, that that never bothered me. I never got nervous or never anything like that. Um, just yeah, it was just just a pleasure to go and do your job. And um, yeah, there was some frustrating times, but on the whole, um, you know, it's like any any work you do. The more you put into it, the more you get out and. Like I say, there was there was no nerves. It was just um, it just felt like being at a, like a mini Glastonbury compared to what I'd been used to before. <laughs> and would you say the move? Obviously, you mentioned you know that yourself and Martin pushed the move for you, for you to get to, to commentary. Um, there always seemed to be a bit of pressure on you in particular when we went back to it switch because obviously you were a local boy. Uh, you had the the rivalries with, like you say, Ben Howe, Sal Cloutin, people like that. I remember you having a bit of a dust up with Sal at one point. Um, did did you sort of did you enjoy going back to it switch when we went back with the team? I did, but on the same token, the pressure was there right from the word go because in all the local papers that was like Tacey's danger boy and he's coming <laughs> back and um to show his mark and then yeah, when you're warming your bike up and doing all that, that plays on your mind and because I had a good good two years with them, um and we didn't leave on bad terms, but um, I made it very clear that if I couldn't come and ride for you guys, then um, I weren't going to ride because I felt like I'd been sort of like um, bird pooped on from a big hike from them with their promises they gave me. And so I wanted to go where I was wanted. Yeah. And, and in that first season, Sean, you, you did um, you did tend to, to feed a fair bit off hands. I remember a few times you had bits of his equipment, um, you know, the spoilers and the wheels and I think at one point maybe even some leathers. But how, how much did did Hans actually considering he was still at the top of his game, how much did he really sort of help you out in that first year with him? Oh he he couldn't have done enough. Um 
and um, my throttle cable broke going to the start line in one race, and um, he was straight out there with his um, spare bike, um, <laughs> gave it to me, and hence um, the following year, um, I bought that bike off him, um, and that led on to um, better things, because um, the following year after that, um, the laydowns come out, and Alf Busk um, built me a laydown, and um, I think that year, um, I put about three, three and a half points on my average. And, um, yeah, I was like in the top 10 of the whole of the um, elite league averages for the first couple of months. And and what was your what was your thoughts when Hans brings the bike out to the track and you're, you're in front of the crowd? Are you, are you thinking just don't crash it? <laughs> um, no, I, I wasn't thinking that. The, 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 the worst bit about it was I, um, I run a second... And because I had his levers on and I was on his bike and I run a second to Dean Barker and we <laughs> shook hands after the race had finished. And at, until Dean saw my eyes, he thought he'd just beat Hans Nielsen. Uh, <laughs> but no, he'd, he'd, he'd beat um, Coventry's number six or seven at the time. And uh, yeah, but um, one, once I rode his bike, that was like, wow, this is this is a different kettle of fish. And uh, no matter what money costs, I need need to buy this bike off him. Uh, I mean, you, you talk about money there. I mean, how difficult was it back in the nineties for for a young British reserve to, first of all, try and make any money at all, but but also try to to make enough money to try and upgrade equipment and that moving forward. <laughs> to be honest with you, mate, um, it was hard, but not as hard as what it is now. Um, on the money terms back then, um, thing things were tough, um, but they're a lot tougher now. And I feel sorry for the lads now. I mean, I, I, I blew up one of my best engines. And um, <clears throat> cut a long story short, we were riding Oxford on the Friday night. I went to Alan Bellum's. I bought a bog-standard, complete Jower bike, 2,500 quid. Um, and I had a really good reputation with Alan Bellum. I could have 10 grand sit on an account um, as long as that was paid off by the end of the year. And I went and picked that bike up, took it to Oxford, and I think I got 13 points out of 15. Took it to Coventry the next night. Um, all I'd done is washed it and prepped it, and I think I got one point. And I only got that one point because someone fell off, um, yeah. which was given to me. And that, that that's the difference. Um, that year I was on about when Alf built me that laydown, which I took to like duck to water. Um, that, that wasn't the quickest thing in the world, but it worked at every track I went to you dropped the clutch and the thing just went forward. It didn't matter whether the track was slick, grippy, um, you know, and it was fairly bog standard compared to what some of the top boys have got. I had standard exhaust system and everything on it, but, um, you know, on that bike, I'd done the likes of Mark Lorem. Um, there was one race in particular, I made the start, and Mark was all over me like a rash, trying to inside outside mainly outside mark being mark but um brian anderson sat in third place and because i kept um messing mark's lineup brian me and brian anderson managed to get a 5-1 um <laughs> and there was one particular night um uh, me and brian anderson were in heat 15 um and <clears throat> we got a 5-1 i shook his hand after the race had finished and um I accidentally caught my footrest in his front wheel and dragged him off his bike. And uh, every, everyone thought I'd done that on purpose to me, but that, that wasn't the case. And 
<laughs> I, I, it cost me a new front wheel. He he charged me for a new front wheel. Bless him. <laughs> Crazy yeah. stuff. And, and we, well, I caught it with Roscoe last week on episode three, and he uh, he gave the story. I asked him about a trip that the bees were involved in going to Poland for, for Hans Nielsen's farewell, and and he gave me a great story about. He, he went with you. He met you down at I think it was at the port or something. You jumped in the van and, and took your stuff, and then you spent a few hours on the side of the autobahn in a bit of a bit of a, a traffic jam so you decided to, to prep your bike at that point. well yeah we got blocked in an autobahn in germany um and uh i needed to put a new uh, a revamped engine in one of my bikes and we knew we were going to be there for like 12 hours um so we sat there in the queue everyone else was out walking around and um yeah we ended up uh ripping my bike out the back of the van and changing an engine on on a full full lane autobahn in germany um, but we knew it weren't going anywhere, and we thought even if it did start moving, there was like six of us in my van at that time. We could just have slung it in the back of the van and uh, got going. But um, yeah, that was a nightmare of a trip to get there. But um, I think it took us like thirty-eight hours to get there. Uh, <laughs> but coming back, we we done it in about eighteen hours, and uh, yeah, that was at Lublin. Um, we done yeah. a afternoon meeting where it was um coventry v um warsaw the the club lublin club and then in the evening that was a individual um and yeah that the two front runners were hans Nielsen and lee adams and uh yeah hans hans was at his home track and uh yeah he um ended up being the top dog on the day but it's crazy to think that that's what 20 27 28 years ago and you've still got vivid memories of the, of that trip out there it just shows that at the time when you when you make your journeys around the country in various places that these things stay with you don't they oh mate yeah um <clears throat> and you touched on something earlier on about um Spicer and uh, Darren about the Edinburgh trip and um <laughs> he said we'll double up I said okay all right okay yeah I'll come to yours at Ipswich um from London and um Right, so I had a car with a trailer back then. Um, I think you probably remember I had that old Proton. Yeah. But good as gold, that thing, and the trailer. And that was like, um, Darren, what are we taking? Oh, we'll take my van. And I'm like, mm, well, right, okay. Yeah, okay, it'd be better in the van. He didn't tell me he had a probably a head gasket or something gone, and we're going to go and do like 400 miles to Edinburgh and back. We left Ipswich, <laughs> and all... He wanted to do all his missus wanted to do, and my missus at the time wanted to do was stop at a uh, little chef. I think we only got from Ipswich, <laughs> and they wanted to stop at the one at Stowe Market. Then we got to the one at Bury St Edmunds, and I think eventually we stopped at the one at Newmarket or somewhere like that. And then we only got as far as near Peterborough, and um, yeah, that just overheated. And then the next minute we pulled into a layby and let it cool down, start up, no temperature gauge went straight up, turned it off, lifted up the bonnet, no, no water in the header tank. Right, me and Darren, look, there's a field over there pumping out water onto the potato field. I'm like, right. <laughs> so off we went with some gallon drums to try and see if we could get some of this water. Well, it was, it was like carry-on film, one at no chance. Um, <laughs> in the end, um, Colin Meredith come with a van, um, and me and Darren jumped in the van and we got to Edinburgh and I think it was about heat six or heat seven 
and I was programmed for the for the for the ride as soon as we got there. And I literally just bumped the bike and <clears throat> went out and um yeah, that that was that was a bit of a carry on film that one. I remember when you uh, you guys turned up because that night I'd actually agree. I was going up anyway um, on the supporters coach, and I'd agreed to help Darren out because he didn't have a, me- a mechanic with the go well, up you to had Edinburgh. Him, I think so you I, had half of me, so didn't you? Yeah, so I I I, I actually became team manager with um, JJ. Took me into the referees box at one point because Colin weren't there. Mm-hmm. He was with you, um, so I was meant to be a mechanic. Ended up being team manager, and it's a it's a story that you guys. I know Darren will never forget it. I'll talk to him about it when when. Uh, Darren does a podcast later, but it's some of the stories that came out of that journey were just. I just looked at you when you got there, and you could just you couldn't believe how long it took to get I there. Know, mate, that was um, <clears throat> yeah. They just um, you know, I just touched on the proton. Wish I'd have took the proton because we'd have got there on time. <laughs> so at, at the end of your first couple of seasons, Sean, you'd gone sort of you didn't. I think it was a four point or so average um, in '94. Uh, you'd, you'd boosted that up to sort of just before six point something in, in in 95 and you were you were sort of improving year on year um and then in 96 again you, you made you made some real progress again you, you've got it up over six points but for some reason at the end of 96 it was it was time for you to move on for it for one year was that something that you were aware of or is it a, a bit of a change in the background that, that no that what across? that was i blew up my favorite engine i had three at the time i think i blew it up um, <clears throat> and I tried replicating that engine on the other two, and I could not, for life or money of me, I could not um, get another engine to work like that one. And, um, yeah, um, I wasn't doing my job, um, quite rightly so. Um, I got replaced, and I think that was George Stansel, I think, replaced me. And uh, But then, um, 97, um, I know you're talking about Coventry, but... What a year that was, because um, that was um, when I went to Isle of Wight. And, um, you know, sort of like all the enthusiastic down there, because a little bit like um, being in Heartbeat or Last of Summer Wine down there, they sort of like speed, like, what's all this? Um, And there was me, Nigel Sadler, Brett Woody Field, Jason Bunyan, um, and on the ferry on the way over there, Peter Oakes and his daughter said, well, right, Sean, um you're the more experienced out of everything we've got here. Um, we're going to make you team captain. I was like, right. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, really, really good fun. Um, it was, it, it went from being at Coventry, very professional to being at like a Sunday league football team sort of thing. Whereas, (laughs) um, everything was a laugh and a joke. I mean, there, there were times you'd be waiting to go out for your next ride and, um, the stadium lights would trip out because they were floodlights. Even when they did come back on, that'd take like twenty minutes for them to, um, yeah, exactly, come come back on so you could race. And uh, oh, they they were running on a shoestring, bless them. And um, but good fun and um, yeah, good times. And not not you know Nigel and Brett and that and moved back to um, Australia in it now. And um, but we had we had a ball of a time. And that year, where you said you were the Isle of Wight, you did a bit of a stint at Kings Inn as well, which obviously, again, is probably more local to you than, than what Coventry is in terms of how the crow flies. But Kings Lynn, more of a track 
you, I mean, you like to, to get the throttle open and, and give it large and, and attract. You, you have had good meetings. That, <coughs> that well. year I didn't. Um, I struggled because I couldn't get my head around the fact of you've got to really use the momentum of the speed down the straights in which to, it was so, so tacky, so grippy, so much clay involved that it wasn't one for the faint hearted. And, um, I struggled to come to terms with that, um, even though I had grass track experience. But with grass track, you haven't got a solid fence to um, stop you if you make a mistake. Um, but, yeah, I, I struggled with that. And then um, when I went back there, um, 2003, 2004, something like that, I knew what the crack was. And I just got my mind set in it that it's such a home track advantage around there. It's untrue. And... Um, yeah, um, I I had some fa- fantastic two couple of years there, and and then you you did you returned home for want of a better word, Sean. You came back um, nineteen ninety eight. I think um, I think Pratty might have been involved at that point because we we ended up with uh, a top three of Greg, Billy, and Brian, which was probably one of the strongest top threes as a club we we've had ever. Um, uh, and you, you turned into a team. What was it like in, in a team with, oh, with mate, Greg and Billy? Um, <laughs> not just the calibre they've got, but just just down to earth, um, spot on lads. Um, you know, professional when the time needs, but also um, real good laugh when 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 the time is not needed. Um, and they're, they're they're both 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 same character to be honest. They're both brilliant people, um, excellent riders. Um, yeah, that that was fantastic. Um, <clears throat> and there was one night at, um, I had a fantastic meeting down at Pool. I think I got like 12, 11 or 12 points um, out of the 15. And me and Billy had a 5-1 over Christoph um, Jagelski. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Christoph just got past us both on the last bend. And uh, yeah. Um, Mr. Cummins, um, Billy's mechanic was, you should have been wider, you should have been wider, but you know, one of those, it was good sport. And, and you, you mentioned, um, Craig Cummings there. I mean, Craig is a, is a word that's been synonymous with you throughout your career because you, your backroom team, um, Craig Roberts, Craig Vickers, two guys that, that helped you out for a long period of time and, and that you, you've had lifelong exactly, friendships mate, with. Exactly, um, <clears throat> it, it's, Again, a learning curve for everybody. Um, Craig uh, Roberts um, jumped at the opportunity of being a mechanic, um, and uh, yeah, he he enjoyed it. But it's he 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 soon um, realised that there's a lot more go on behind the scenes, and it's a lot harder than what normal public just they see you like warming the bikes up and push you off, etc. There's there's so much for 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 five minutes work a night, which you do. There is like fourteen hours yeah. go on behind the workshop to get that bike to do those five minutes. Um, it's yeah. it's and Craig and me do engines and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and just 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 the workload. I mean, I do motocross now, and you you do a motocross meeting, and it, you can get a bike done in about an hour and a half, whereas a speedway bike is like eight nine hours. To get turned around, which has only done five minutes' work. Yeah, and then and it was tough, and it, especially when you've got. I mean, you would leave some meetings. I know you had to ride down at Exeter and place like that. Some meetings you'd have to leave well in advance to 
to even get anywhere near the, the exactly, stadium that you're going exactly. to. Exactly. Um, and that's like nowadays, you know, <clears throat> going back when I first started, the, the roads are so different now. I, I used to allow an hour and a half to two hours to get to Coventry from Ipswich. Now you've got to allow four. Um, the tr- yeah. the travelling time, the speed cameras, um, does it help? Hmm. Well, it doesn't stop the accidents and what have you. I, I don't know. It's um, it just takes you so long to get anywhere now, and um, especially I, I rode for Workington one year, all singing and dancing when I took it on. But that was like, wow, hang on a minute, how far is this place? And I, I lived near Norwich then, <laughs> and like on a Saturday, I used to leave my house at like half eight, quarter to nine in the morning to make sure I was going to be there for a seven o'clock start. Um, and I'd, I'd get home like on a Sunday morning at three o'clock would be early, um, half past five, six o'clock would be late Sunday morning, and I'd be cooking like a pizza and um, chips at like five, six o'clock in the morning because that was my tea time, and then. <laughs> Going to bed and then getting up at eight o'clock after about three hours kip, going to the workshop, getting the bike done. If I had to go to Exeter on the Monday or, um, which, you know, you had to get it done just in case you were going to get that um, guest phone call or anything like that. It's it, it, it it's hard graft. And, um, and that's like I, I touched on earlier on, you know, when I said about my bike, I, I went. It was no good round Coventry being a big flat out track or somewhere like King's Inn, but it was perfect for Oxford being low on power, bog standard, mm-hmm. 2,500 quid. Well, now nowadays, um, you're looking at engines alone are like five, six grand. And the problem is that the money hasn't gone up to, to, to go with that. And hence, like I say, yeah. I, I feel really, really sorry for the ones who, unless you are sponsored up to the max... Who, with financial help, I mean, I had a lot of sponsors, um, especially when I rode for Coventry, but 90% of them were um, materials which you could use. Um, you know, you, yeah. you struggle to get financial help um, to pay for your equipment. I know that that we've we've always had some we, we always had some really big supporters groups at Coventry, and, and I know that they helped you out a few times and. I think Derek Gilbert Curry was probably the one that most people recognise as a name on your on your bike throughout your time. Um, you know, sponsorship wise, I think the the fact that you were such a, an easygoing guy and you were you were really good with the fans as well that meant that if they could help you out, they would do. But um, I know a lot of Crumpty fans, uh, certainly when I put on the on the socials that I was going to be talking to you, uh, some some great memories of your time with us at the club and and uh, you know a lot of them. Oh, he's a fan's favourite. He's a great guy. And uh, maybe you'd have got back home early if you'd not stayed in the bar for an hour chatting. <clears> well, not, not so much that. You know, like most riders, once they finished the meeting, um, they would bugger off to the changing room. No disrespect to that, because they, they had paid mechanics. I couldn't afford to have a paid mechanic to do um, that at the time. And even when I had Craig, um, well, both the Craigs, um, as soon as the meeting was finished, we'd go out into the car park, get the bikes and that loaded up. And the fans used to come round the back because they knew that I'd be there. Um, And yeah, um, you know, we talked the night, whether it be a good one or bad one. Sometimes I was a bit grumpy if I had a bad one, but I still tried to make the time. And, you know, it's it's, you got to take the rough with the smooth. But the amount of fans I come up to me and 
oh, would you sign would you sign this card for my little girl, blah, 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 and would you have a photo? And then the next minute, they'd, they'd give you like 300 quid cash. And then you'd think, whoa. Yeah. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute, what's this? No, we really appreciate your efforts. We, and then, you know, you got a lot of genuine ones which really understood the running costs of doing it. And they 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 yeah. didn't put you in the footballers um, category. They they knew that you were on. You know you were you were trying to do. It's <clears throat> the problem is it's a it's a hobby which turned into a job. Um, but yeah. um, and as you know as well as I do, if there was ten thousand people going to every meeting, it'd be a different story because then. The, the um, promoters would be able to pay more money, but um, that's like a, that's like now at this moment in time. What what is going on? I mean, you know, um, it was struggling before, especially the last sort of like five six yeah. years. I mean, I think I had the best out of it in in our era as such with the times, but na- but now I I, I think there's going to be so many places full and fold through it. Um, you know, because it's just there's not the revenue there, and we we you know yeah. you can't open up even if God bless it, um, Coventry Stadium was still going. The Ockle Trees and that could not run a meeting behind closed doors um, because the punters paid the wages. If there's if there's no wages to be if there's if there's yeah. no punters coming in, the wages can't be paid. No, you you're exactly right, and. Um... I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two. Uh, I'm gonna keep moving it forward a little bit, Sean, to to '99, which for me um, was probably one of the the best memories I've got of you. And I know that I've sent you a video of this earlier on in the year um, because you you had some Titanic battles on track with with a certain Thomas Golob. And there's one race at Brandon in particular that I know you were desperate to get a copy of. And, and when I sent it to you, you you loved watching it. What was it like riding against people like Thomas Golob? In that, <coughs> that, that, that was really weird because. I could have a real um, – if I rode against him one in one race and I had four races that night, I might do three races, which were terrible. Um, but for some reason – and he, he, he had a double-page spread in FHM magazine, and um, which I, I, I did have a copy of, and I don't even know where it's gone now. But he, 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 he said, no matter what this boy does, I've seen his results – um, and then every time I race against him, he he does his best to beat me, and a lot of the time he does. And he he's and, and to be fair, <laughs> I was like a nobody compared to him. And he he put um, they asked him a load of questions, and when it said most feared opponent, he put me. Um, but but not not because of <laughs> dangerous riding, because we both gave each other respect. We both we both pushed it to the max. Um, but we both left that room. But he, I mean, uh, not not just at Coventry. Um, he was like ran the boards at um, Ipswich, and I ever took him on the inside at Ipswich. I just put some silly gears on my bike. He made the start on me, and in on the third or fourth lap, um, I ever took him on the inside, and he was like, he, he, I'll go to shake his hand afterwards. He's put his hands up as so say, where the hell did you get that from? You know, and I didn't know myself. That was just something. I just looked at him. I thought, right, you're good. I'm going to show you I'm, I'm good as well. But what, I mean, what fantastic memories to have, though. The fact that a rider of Thomas's calibre and, you know, obviously everybody was shocked when he had his injury, when he um, he finished the sport. But, you know, fantastic memories to, to think that you've 
you've ridden against the very exactly, best mate, in, exactly. in sport. And, um, yeah, again, there was like, um, I rode in Sweden in two, uh, 1997. Um, oh, mate, the money. Uh, I, Derek, who you touched on earlier on, I said, I've got this job in Sweden. And he's like, right. And he said, what's the problem? I said, I ain't got a bike. About an hour later, he rung me up. He said, um, Sean, he said, um, I've got you a bike. I said, what do you mean? Alan Bellums at the Speedway Services at Terrington's Clemens, Kings Lynn. Got you a bike. And I said, right. He said, but there's a major problem. I said, what's the problem, Derek? And um, he said, I've only got a white one. And I was just like, oh, my God. He gave me this bike. And I'd done the engine on it. And I spent all winter just you know, polishing all up the ports and doing everything. And I went out there and I had a good season out there and I finished with like a eight and a half point average. And then they, they wanted me to go back out there about three years later. And they, this Smyrna club who I, who wanted to sign me, um, the government said, no, he's, he's got to have a, and they said, no, 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 he hasn't been here. And he wasn't. That, that. And, um, I went out there and I replaced Jason Crump when he got injured. And, um, I thought, oh, how's this going to go? I was riding at number one. Um, <clears throat> yeah, cut a long story short. Um, I was beating the likes of Ryan Sullivan, Greg Hancock on their home track. Um, so I sort of like made myself look a little bit silly in the sense that, well, no, he has got that average. Um, you know, and I, I don't know why. Then sometimes, um, you know, I say I don't get nervous, I never did get nervous. Um, but sometimes the bigger caliber of people you're riding against, you think. Uh, I've got nothing to lose here. I'll just do what I can. And nine times out of ten, you, you end up doing better than what you would have done if you're riding against two number sixes and sevens. Yeah. And and it's always been a case, no matter who we speak to, and, and I know we've we've talked about it over the years, but a lot of the speedway is, is mental, isn't it? It's You've got to have the equipment underneath you, but you've a lot of it is mentally. If you're mentally prepared and you go to the tapes. Yeah, it's like I say, um, races are won in the workshop. Um, but <clears throat> it's always not as easy as that with the public pressure and um, the social media stuff. You're either hero or zero. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you have a bad week, you turn up the following week later and um, the pressure's on. And, um, yeah, I never got nervous, but that plays on your mind. Yeah. And and in I mentioned the Thomas Gollob battle in '99, and that was your your first of two uh, British final appearances, Sean. And you were I know you were proud to have made the British final on a number of occasions, and and especially winning your your first race as well at the British final. Yeah, you've got a better memory than me. There was um, there was one of them. Um, me and Robbo done really well in it. Absolutely hammered down. The track was, it was just horrendous and. We needed to come in like the top six or top eight, something like that, in which to go through to the overseas or the ne- the next round. And um, yeah, um, we we both done it. Um, and there was you, you you know you said about um, winning the opening one, but there was a lot of times I went to um, like Cradley and places like that and Long Eaton where the track was really gnarly, and you think, Christ, we ain't gonna get round this. And um, with the grass track experience and that. Um, I, I seem to do better, even though I thought, oh, Christ, how's this going to go? But um, I was a lot better. Um, and, you know, th- th- there's a lot to be said. A lot of people say, oh, because, like, the Wolverhamptons and Pools went for a phase of, like, oh, you can't have a slick track. Well, it's a speedway bike. You know, it's like mm-hmm. an inch and a half off the ground. And they used to rip the hell out of them, make them like a ploughed field. 
Um, but I have full respect for like Colin Meredith. Um, he always made the Coventry track reasonably slick. Um, and that way, you, you know, you can come at you, we, we were touching each other going round for four laps and you had mm-hmm. riders confidence in case, you know, making the, you know, getting your wheels in line better. And, um, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, not, not the deep grippy ones, the, um, more of a, um, smoother line, um, it, in which, um, riders don't get out of control and, I've been asked this conversation a million times before. What's the difference between an upright and a laydown? Um, the difference is there's no difference in race times. It's still going to be 51 seconds, 59 seconds, 62 seconds, depending on what track you're at. But the uprights, um, the bike will be doing 70 mile an hour. The back wheel will be doing like 90 mile an hour in which to still be able to do the turns. But now with the laydowns, you're still doing 70 mile an hour, but the back wheel's doing 120 mile an hour. Yeah. So as soon as there's a little bit of um, debris in that rider's way, you're just a pilot mm-hmm. and you just like let let go. There is, you know, all the best will in the world. I've seen the world's best get completely out of control and just chuck the thing away because when it when it takes off, it's it's like a catapult. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no, you, you haven't got time to react. No matter what you do, you wouldn't be able to do it anyway. And what would you say, Sean? Were, you, were your best? Um, what, what was the most favourite track you used to you used to ride at? What was your What was the one where, when it come off on the fixture list, you were like, "Yeah, I enjoy riding there." Um, Bradford. Bradford. And and what? Bradford. That was just all all out hanging. That was like riding in a um, Mindy, you know, um, a Daytona of a, a NASCAR or something like that. That was just like keep the throttle pinned and you just don't shut off and. Um, even before I came to you guys, I had some fantastic meetings there with um, Ipswich and, uh, you know, big, and again, that was like a place for the first time I turned up there and that was like, watch the first meeting and you're standing up in the terraces and the riders like pin dots. Yeah. Um, and that was like, wow, what a venue. Um, you know, and just again, um, even back then, you know, apart from a um, world final, um, struggle to get punters through the door. Yeah. Well, was was Bradford grippy or was it smoother? Because you were you were saying you were you know flat out all time, but was it was track? It was just always well prepared. Yeah. It was just really really nice. Um, and to be fair, that could all even if that was slick, be you know you used the bank and to get your momentum. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was a real knowledgeable track, but it was so safe as well. It was fast, but um, really safe. And which was the one that came up on the fixture list where you thought, oh, Christ, I could do without this one? Eastbourne. <laughs> Eastbourne, Eastbourne. Mate. Um, yeah, just, uh, yeah, the, the, it was, it, it took me a long time to get my head around that place. And then you touched on like 99 or, um, but then Carl Blumfeld um, done me a little short stroke engine and I went there and I got 13 points out of 15 and, and Dave Dave Norris, floppy bless him, my hero around there, um, and kicked his ass in two, two, two of the races I rode against him. And, um, oh, mate, I come away buzzing, <laughs> um, you know. <clears throat> yeah. And and in, the, in your final year, um, I mean, a, a lot of us didn't think it would be your final year. I th- we thought you'd be there for, for a lot longer. But your final year, 2000, finally, Sean, you, you picked up, even though you've been in some really big teams and, you know, really strong Spearheads finally picked up some silverware that the club won the Craven Shield in 2000. 
Um, but I think a lot of us expected you to be with us for, again, you know, a number of years. You carried on your career for a while. What was the, was there any sort of memories about the Craven Shield and then and then what happened at the end of that season, which meant that you didn't return the year after? Coming second to Ipswich in about three meetings, I think. I think Ipswich won everything. It was 98 or 99 and um, we were just so close. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think, you know, Ipswich had Rickardson, um, Golub. Yeah. Um, Scott Nichols then became of age, whereas he, he took a little while to get to his, to, to, to hit on his top ability, but he became of age that year. Savalas Clayton was having a really good year. And, um, Anton Saab, um, they had a real good little strong team and we literally just got nicked um, every time because um, that was like the spearhead, Coventry v Ipswich, Coventry v Ipswich. Yeah. And, um, we had the two big front runners, Billy and Greg um, and, you know, Brian, but um, we didn't all perform in those meetings. All... One did. Another one didn't, and you know um, it, it was so frustrating, so frustrating because of because of the years. I so want to get one on over Ipswich, but that, that didn't happen at that yeah. time. And and at the end of two thousand, then so how did the what were the discussions like? Did you know early on that you wouldn't be returning, or, or with a lot of the seasons in Speedway, you had to sort of wait till averages and fixtures and stuff, January February time. When did you know you wouldn't be returning? Well, to be honest with you, I was, um, I'd been at that top flight for quite a long time. I did remember back the year I had at um, Isle of Wight, which was, I wouldn't say a Mickey Mouse year, but it was a fun, fun year, you know, and um, Arena Essex come forward um, and they said, you know, um, about dropping down a league and um, I, I gave it a go and I had a terrible first year to be honest um but they persevered with me gave me a second year the second year was fantastic and um yeah i just it was it was not so much pressure riding um you know uh, at that top level um you were more of a single person where you were just riding for yourself and um just seeing what what you could do and um yeah um just I'll be honest with you, mate. Like I say, I had some cracking years, but um, it was just just less less pressure, to be honest. Yeah, and and I guess it's something similar to what Robbo said when when I spoke to him. He just found that when he was riding Premier League, he found the love of the sport again, and and because he was enjoying riding his bike, it made things a lot more more interesting from that perspective. Yeah, that's that's a weird thing because it's like like I said earlier on. Sometimes the lesser competition. Is sometimes worse because you pull up on the start line, you think, "Oh, I've got him beside me. Oh, I've got him beside me. Ah, oh, this will be all right." And you almost become sort of like self-complacent about it and think, "Oh, I'm, I'm going to do this one." Yeah. And you turn around and that fires you in the backside. Whereas you turn up on the start line, you have got Lee Adams, Tony Rickardson, and Tolov Scholar. You think, <laughs> <laughs> "What am I doing here? As, <laughs> what, what on earth am I doing?" You put on your off gate four and you think, "Yeah, all right, boys, just, just, oh, just." Just give me the wooden spoon now. And <laughs> you, just, you just wait for that green light to come on and you just think, oh, I've got nothing to lose. And that's just, you know. And 
I will be honest, I, I never, I, I touched glimpses on the potential I had, but I never fulfilled my full potential. Um, there's a lot of things behind the scenery which caused that and my own stuff um, within my own stuff and myself, whether it be engines. Uh, there's just, just, it's so hard when you're on that fine line, when you're in the public eye of trying to do what you can do and with, like I said, touched on earlier on, with what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that's like that's like now I do my motocross, and I turn up, I thought, well, I'm not a motocross rider, I've got nothing to lose, and I'll just go out and have some fun. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. So what, what was, what would be your overriding memories of Coventry, Sean, in, in the, in the six or seven years that you spent with us, what what we sort of did you? Is it an overriding sort of sense of you enjoyed it, or was it are there things there like you say you wish you could have done a bit differently? Um, you always wish you could have done things differently. I wish I could have done things a lot more professionally. Of course I do. Um, you know, but at the time um, I was like a one man band. I didn't didn't have the finances. Um, you know, and that's, that's like me and Martin Ogletree had a conversation one day, and that's why he liked like the like the Eastern Europeans, like the Danes, and that so much because they got nothing to lose. They take out a, like a thirty, forty grand bank loan, get kitted out with the bikes, with the mechanics, get a rented place sorted out. Boom, boom, boom. They come over here and they bust their gut to try and make it work. Um, and yeah, I think they had the right. Um, right scope about that um and everyone can say things they can have done better but um you know you anyone looks back on life and say they could have done things better and i i wish i had a reached my potential which um some people um like the billies and gregs and hanses and tony ricardson's knew i could do um but <clears throat> something else um ipswich had a pairs meeting one year and i was riding for coventry then and um, Ipswich rung me up, that was end of season, and um, they said, right, can you come and ride? I've got this pairs meeting. I said, yeah, right, cracking. You're paired up with Tony Ricardson. I thought, oh, my days. <laughs> oh, my days. Oh, the Christmas will come all at once. Oh, I think I got eight or nine points out of the 12, because you just done the four races. Ricardson scored one. He had an absolute nightmare. <laughs> and I, I I thought, mate, I'm gonna be on we're gonna be on the rostrum. This is this is like wow, what could they do, you know? Um this this can't go wrong. And Ricardson had an absolute nightmare of a night. Um that might have been leading up to a GP or something, he might have been testing or just using it like a practice mean. I'm like, Tony, of all the nights I wanted you to have a good night, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Could have, I could have been made famous just that one night. Oh, so she might be laughing. You might be laughing. Well, it's true, isn't it? Oh, brilliant. Well, I mean, like like I said at the start of the of the episode, Sean, there is a lot of people at Comptry still have such fond memories of you, uh, myself included. I know that whenever I, I meet you, we have a good chat, a uh, good catch up, and um, it's fair to say that you will always be down in the in the bracket of Comptry fans' favourite for the, you know, your efforts on the track and also the time that you spent with with the Comptry fans. You know, a lot of them. Uh, posted on Facebook about, you know, they used to catch up with you afterwards and, and you've talked about it there, about in the car park. So um, it's been absolutely great catching up with you. I hope uh, hope you continue to to plough through the lockdown and that things get to some kind of normality. And then at some point, I'll no doubt catch you probably in that bar on the first bend at Ipswich. Um, I don't know what you're and, talking about. <laughs> and we'll have, a, we'll have a catch up, mate. But it's been great to talk to you. And 
look forward to the next picture of your, your Sunday dinner that you put on Facebook each week because they look absolutely cracking them. Bless your heart. Thank you very much. Chicken, chicken tonight. Chicken tonight, buddy. Chicken. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks for talking, Sean, and we'll, we'll catch up soon. Cheers, Martin. Bless your heart.